morning, everyone. If we haven't met yet, my name's Hans. It is great to be here with you. And um, yeah, it's going to be great to look at that passage together. Just want to, um, uh, what we do here every, every time uh, I preach or I'm out the front, I give away a book, a great book. Um, this is the book that I'm giving away this week. It's called A Doubter's Guide to Jesus, An Introduction to the Man from Nazareth, for believers and skeptics, John Dixon by John Dixon. John Dixon is a great historian, especially of Jesus, and he writes in a very, very easy way. If you've got questions about Jesus, or maybe you think of yourself as a skeptic, and you know you've got all these intellectual questions, you you you, you can take this, grab, grab me after the service, or maybe you've got a friend or a family member or a loved one that uh, is asking you all these questions, and you want to know what answers are there. Here they are, or you could just give it to them. You know, maybe their birthday is coming up and you want to give them that or something. Or um, you might want to give them something other than that. But, but, you know, but you can ask me about that after the service. And uh, it's free to the first person who asks me for that. I'm going to pray as we look at this passage. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you today with very many different responses Some of us believe you and trust in you. Some of us are seeking after you. Some of us are skeptical. Maybe that you exist. Maybe we're skeptical of the Bible. Some of us are kind of kind of at a distance. We're we're interested. It's great that we that, that you seem to have worked for other people, but we're not sure we need you. And so, Lord, I pray that wherever we're at with you here today, that you would speak to us, that you would help us to see you more clearly so that we will be drawn into a relationship with you if we, if we aren't already. And if we are, we pray that you would draw us closer to you so that our lives would be shaped by your word and by who you are. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I probably had hundreds, uh, I've definitely actually had hundreds of conversations with people who don't follow Jesus and yet are, you know, either seeking him or, or, or something like that. And what I've realized over the years is that it doesn't matter what people say or the questions they ask, everyone's response, you know, to Jesus falls in one of three categories. These are responses of people who don't follow Jesus. The, the first response or the first group of people is what I would call seekers. See, there are so many people who uh, come and investigate Jesus or God and they're seeking something. It's either they want inner peace or they want something from God and they're hoping that coming to Jesus, Jesus will grant them that. And then there's the second group of people. They're skeptics. They've got this predisposition, maybe on a heart level or an intellectual level, that uh, this whole Jesus thing is just a myth. Of course he lived, historians say that, but he's, the, the Jesus of the Bible is not the real Jesus. And then there's other people who I would call spectators. It, it, it seems like they're on the, on the periphery. I mean, they probably know people who are Christians, and it's great that, that, that Jesus has done amazing things in their lives. And, and they believe that Jesus is probably a nice guy, and, and his teachings are all good, but they're kind of spectating. And I wonder where you fit in those three today. 
I wonder if you're here and you're a seeker. You're coming to Jesus. You're hoping that there is maybe a hole in your heart that you want filled. Maybe there's something that you've heard that Jesus can deliver you and you're wanting that and you're seeking Jesus out for that. Or maybe you're here and you're skeptic. Maybe you've been brought by a friend or a family member or you just think it's a good thing to come to church and you're here and you're going, wow, like I just, man, water into wine, I'm not sure. A, a, a dude who's paralyzed, nah, you know, walking again, no, that, that can't happen. Jesus rising from the dead, I mean, that, that's all good. I'm glad you believe it, but I, I, I just, I've got too many questions. I've got too many doubts. I've got, I've got all these things. And as soon as you say something about Jesus from the Bible, there seems to be something in my head or heart that just goes, oh, I just can't believe that. Maybe you're here and you're a spectator. Oh, you're glad that, that some people have your faith in Jesus, but your life is together and you're, you, you like the idea of Jesus being nice and a good teacher and everything, but you're just spectating. Well, the great news is this, that we, wherever you stand on those, in those three categories, we're, we're so glad that you're here. We are not just a church for people who believe in Jesus. We are a church for people who are seeking we are a church for people who are skeptics. We are a church for people who are spectators. Because we want you to come to face to face with the real Jesus, the Jesus of the Bible, the historical Jesus. But not only that, we're going to actually see those three groups in this passage. We're going to see uh, the seeker, the skeptic, and the spectator and see how they respond to Jesus or how they should respond to Jesus. We're doing a, a series on the miracles of Jesus and we're looking at probably Jesus' most famous miracles and we're looking at one that if you've been at Sunday school, I'm sure you've heard this one. It's one of my favorites. But let's first have a look and see how the seeker responds to Jesus. Have a look at verse 1. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. So, so Capernaum's a, 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 a quite a large city for this time, but what you've got to realize is that archaeologically we know that the streets and the, and the houses are quite very quite small. And so, so this, this, is a, this is a crowd, this is such a big crowd that no one can get in to hear Jesus. There's probably people blocking the streets all around, hearing Jesus. And then a group of people come. Have a look at verse 3. Some men came bringing, bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and lowered the man, sorry, the mat the man was lying on. Can you imagine being there? You know, Jesus is preaching to a full house, a lot of people, and then you hear a thud on the roof and another and another and another and you see the mud brick just fall down and then you see one of the, the, the logs moved and, and you see the, the dirty faces of the four guys you know, uh, digging through and then another log is moved and then there's a guy who you know to be a paralyzed guy. You've probably seen him begging and here he is before Jesus. And you can see his mates, all four of them are looking down expectant because they've heard about Jesus. 
They've heard that Jesus is a guy who can do amazing miracles and amazing things. And they're hoping, as well as the guy on the map, he's hoping that Jesus can heal this guy. Well, they might have heard him do other things and they're just hoping that somehow this great teacher, this great miracle worker, Jesus, heals their friend. And yet, let's see what Jesus says or Jesus does. Verse 5. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now, can I be a bit rude to Jesus here? If I was the paralyzed man, I'd be like going, Oh, well, that's great, Jesus. But I still can't walk. And I actually came to you, Jesus, because I can't walk. I didn't come for forgiveness of sins. I came that I may walk again. And great, I'm glad my sins are forgiven. But hey, you haven't solved my problem. But here is Jesus. Can you see the agenda of Jesus here? Jesus is saying to this man, Son, you've got a far greater problem than just not being able to walk. You've got a far greater problem than not just being mobile. You've got this thing called sin, this rebellion against God, which is blocking you from God. And you don't know that even if you were to walk again in a few months' time or a few years' time, there would be a gaping hole in your heart that is not fixed. There would be a relationship breakdown between you and God that is not fixed. And one day you will stand before me, Jesus, you will stand before me and guess what? You will, you will have wanted me to have forgiven your sin. There's a greater problem than not just being able to walk. See, this guy is a seeker. His friends are seekers. But they're seeking Jesus just so that this guy can walk. And Jesus is saying, I am offering you so much more. So much more. See, Jesus is saying, you may want this, but I'm going to fix what really ails you. It's a bit like this. You, you guys know I spend a lot of money at the physio. I think I put my uh, physio's kids through, uh, through uh, private school, the, the amount of money I spend on that at him. And um, I, I remember having a conversation with Ben, my physio. He's a great guy. And uh, he... I, we were talking about our jobs and, and, you know, every job's got their frustrations and he was talking about his. And, and he said the, the, the biggest frustration is people don't realise how deep their problem goes. And I said, what do you mean by that? He said, well, people come and they say, well, this muscle is hurting or my arm's hurting or something like that. And what they want is they want a bunch of exercises to fix their arm, right? So it doesn't... So it stops hurting, right? And so he gives them the exercise that they really need and they just do it for a few days until their arm is stopped hurting. But they just, what they, realize, they don't realise is this, that actually they need to keep doing those exercises. Why? 
Because what really ails them is not a sore arm, but maybe a weak back or a weak core or something like that. And, and if, if they fix that, their true underlying problem, it's going to fix other things in their lives. You see, so many of us go to the physio and go, oh, I've got a pain here, but the physio says there's a real problem that you are not seeing. Here, Jesus is saying, oh, you want to walk? I see a real problem that you're not seeing. And, and so many of us are seekers. We come to God, we come to Jesus seeking him. We, we, we have heard that he is the one that can give peace or meaning in life or something like that. And Jesus says to you and me, there's something far greater. There's something far greater. And I need to do not just life alteration, but spiritual surgery on you. You've got to realize that your sin is the thing that's blocking you from God. And the reason why you don't have meaning in your life or or something like that is not because you haven't gone to the right spiritual guru, it's because you have been alienated from God. And you need that sin that alienates you from God to be dealt with, to be taken away. And Jesus says, I have the one, I am the God that does that. I'm the God that dies on the cross for your, for your sins so that you could know God, which is exactly why you have been created. See, Jesus loves you enough not to just give you the desires of your heart and move on, because he knows that even if you get the desires of your heart, you will still, in a year's time or a few, a few years' time, be totally unhappy. Just think about celebrities. I'm always blown away by celebrities who look amazing, who are so talented, and they're at the top of their game. In every sense, they're at the top of their game. And yet, so many of them go through addiction. So many of them blow up their lives and do crazy things. Why? Because even though they have got the very thing that they have been working so hard for, it's not enough. There's something more. Back in 1990, in the Village Voice, uh, a newspaper in New York, a a lady named Cynthia Heimel um, wrote a piece. She she was um, around New York when a lot of actors we know and love were just beginning. And here's what she says about them. I pity celebrities. No, I really do. Sylvester Stallone, Bruce Willis and Barbara Streisand were once perfectly pleasant human beings. But now their wrath is awful. I think when God wants to play a really rotten practical joke on you, he grants your deepest wish and then laughs merrily when you realize you want to kill yourself. You see, Sly, Bruce and Barbara wanted fame. They worked, they pushed, and the morning after each of them became famous, they wanted to take an overdose. Because that giant thing they were striving for, that fame thing that was going to make everything okay, that was going to make their lives bearable, that was going to provide them with personal fulfillment and happiness had happened and they were still them. The disillusionment turned them howling and insufferable. See, if you are here today, Jesus just doesn't want to give you the desires of your heart so that you can one day wake up and go, is this it? 
Jesus wants to deal with your biggest problem, your sin. And he did that by dying on the cross for you. And here's the beautiful thing, that, that this paralyzed man, these four guys took, took this paralyzed man to Jesus. This paralyzed man was seeking one thing, one thing to be able to walk again. And Jesus fixes his greatest problem. And yet in the end, he's still able to walk. I have not met a seeker who has really come to Jesus who Jesus doesn't fix their greatest problem and they still get what they were really after. I know many people who have said, I want inner peace. And Jesus says, I've got to deal with your sin. And through dealing with their sin, they get inner peace. I know so many people come to Jesus wanting hope. And Jesus says, I will deal with your sin. And they they get hope. Whatever you're looking for, if you trust in Jesus to deal with your greatest issue, he will give you what you're looking for. Well, that's what the, that's what, um, the seeker, how the seeker responds to Jesus. Let's have a look at the skeptic. You see the skeptics here in the religious leaders, they're extremely skeptical. I want to show you how Mark puts that. See, if you have a look at the men coming with their paralyzed friend, they are on their feet, and Jesus says they are full of faith. They are coming to Jesus. Notice, notice the skeptics in verse 6. When Jesus says, Son, your sins are forgiven, what do the teachers of the law, what are the teachers of the law doing? Have a look at verse 6. Now, some of the teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves. They are sitting down and they are judging Jesus. The the seekers are on their feet coming to Jesus. The religious skeptics are sitting in judgment on Jesus. Here they're going, how does, wait, I, I can't hold this because Jesus, is he claiming to be God here? So, see, the, the, the irony here is they're absolutely right. Only, only God can forgive sins. Only God can forgive sins. We saw that in Psalm 51. We also saw that in Psalm 51. As David has, um, he, he committed adultery with Bathsheba, had her husband killed, and then he says, against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. And all Bathsheba's friends and family and all Uriah's friends and family going, hang on, you just killed Uriah and you, killed, you did this and wait up. See, the thing that David is saying, the thing that, that the religious leaders know is that in the Bible, sin is primarily against God and God alone. And so when Jesus says, I am here, forgiving your sin, I can forgive your sin, he's actually claiming to have the prerogative of God. He's standing in the stead of God. He's claiming he to be God. But notice what Jesus doesn't do. Jesus doesn't say, oh, no, 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 you've got it all wrong. I'm sorry, there has been a mistake. In my theology, anyone can forgive it. No, 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 that's not what he says. And Jesus just doesn't ignore it. He actually confronts them in their skepticism. Have a look, verse 8. 
Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit what they were thinking in their hearts and said to them, why are you thinking these things? Here is Jesus and he is confronting them in their skepticism. Why are you thinking these things? And notice how Mark is saying, hey, Jesus is God. I'll give you that little clue as to why why I think that. Notice where they are thinking. They are thinking in their hearts. In the Bible, God is the only one that can read hearts. And here is Jesus reading their hearts. And Jesus continues, which is easy to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven or get up, take your mat and go home. Well, which is easy to say, your sins are forgiven, get up, take your mat and go home. It's an easy problem, isn't it? It's far easier to say your sins are forgiven. Why? Because just say if I go up to Bobby here and I say, hey, Bobby, your sins are forgiven, what changes about Bobby? Nothing really. I mean, he doesn't become instantly more good looking, not that that would be possible or anything, but like he doesn't change or anything like that. Sorry about that, Bobby. But but like nothing changes, right? But imagine if Bobby was paralyzed and I said, hey, get up, take your mat and walk, and Bobby just lays there. Don't I look like an idiot? It's far easier to say your sins are forgiven because it takes no proof. Takes no proof. You, You can't actually prove it. And yet, Jesus says, verse 10, but I want you to know that the Son of Man, Jesus is taking a picture from the Old Testament, Daniel chapter 7, verse 13, this great exalted figure, this God-like figure. He's saying, I am that figure. He says this, the Son of Man has an authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, take your mat and go home. And that's exactly what he does. Jesus sees the skepticism and he gives evidence for his claim to be God. And and here's the irony. The irony is this. What did the religious leaders want more than anything? What were they striving after more than anything? They wanted to know God more than anything. They wanted to have a connection with God more than anything. That's what their whole life was on about. And the irony is God is there in the flesh and they can reach out and touch him. But their skepticism is blocking them from believing in him. They've got this, all this religious skepticism. And yet, they will not put that to one side and believe in Jesus and get what they want. The irony with a lot of skeptics is people who are skeptics really want so many things that Jesus can give and yet it is their skepticism that blocks them. Maybe you're here and you have lived your life skeptical of the claims of Jesus Can I just ask you, are there things in your life that you want that you have heard that Jesus can bring? I'm sure that there are. Wouldn't it be then good to take a different tact with Jesus? Instead of coming to him more sceptical, why don't you take a different tact? Because maybe you're looking for peace or hope or security or a sense of purpose. Jesus offers it all and more. 
So maybe take a different tact. Maybe take the, your scepticism that you're always pointing at Jesus and God and religion and the Bible. Maybe you should take that scepticism and turn it in on itself. And what I mean by that is doubt your doubts. Be sceptical of your own scepticism because how do you know you're right? Some of you guys are going, well, well, I don't think the Bible is historically reliable. Can I ask you, have you even read the Bible? Have you, have you checked out whether the Bible is historically reliable? Maybe you want to get this book, A Doubter's Guide to Jesus. It's free yours. Or, or maybe you're going, well, hands, I don't believe that a loving God could send people to hell. Really? Have you checked that out? Because maybe a loving God can send people to hell. Maybe you need to explore that. Why do you believe what you do? Be sceptical of your own scepticism, doubt your doubts, and then explore. The interesting thing here is Jesus show, says that he's God and then gives evidence. He doesn't say, hey, you've just got to believe that I'm God. No, he says, guess what? So that you would know that the Son of Man, so that I can, I can forgive sins, so that I am God, I'm going to prove to you that I am God by raising him from the dead. Jesus never, ever says, just believe. Forget about your doubts. He says, come. Explore your doubts. Come, and if you're sceptical, let's talk about your scepticism together. Let's look at the evidence. Have you explored the evidence? Maybe you want to come to introducing Jesus. I would love to see you there. I would love to answer your questions. Or maybe you just want to get, get coffee or, or you know, a steak or something with me or whatever, and, and you want to sit down and talk about your, your, your doubts and questions. I would love to do that. I remember... Um, a few years, uh, sorry, a few uh, weeks before I f- we finally closed my, uh, my last church down, Resolved. And um, I ran into a guy who came to Resolved in the first couple of years. So I hadn't seen him in like six years. And he was very happy when I saw him a few years, before, uh, sorry, a few uh, weeks before Resolved finished. And that was totally different from when I first saw him. When I first saw him, he was so angry. So angry and so mocking of religion and God and Jesus. He had tried it all out and he was furiously angry. He told me he wanted peace, he wanted security, he wanted all these things. He wanted his life to be in a good place. He he had these deep longings in his heart. And as I was talking with him in New, the, the car park of Newtown IGA, he actually said to me how a year before when we were talking then, he got cancer and was terminal. He, he, he said how a chaplain had visited him and he started reading the gospel for himself. And he told me, uh, like through tears, but smiling tears, joyful tears, how he'd become a Christian and how he always wanted all these deep longings in his heart and they were met in Jesus. And he apologised for, for, for being an idiot. He used a different word, but anyway, he, he apologised for that and he said, oh, I'm so sorry. I said, don't worry about it. And, but one of the things he said, he said, Jesus was there all the time offering all the things that I really wanted And my hard heart and my scepticism just pushed him away. 
I wonder if your hard heart and your scepticism is pushing Jesus away. Or are you open to doubting your doubts and your being sceptical of your own scepticism and then being open to Jesus? Jesus is giving you that offer today. Finally, we're going to see the spectators. When we see those in verse 12, he got up, he took his mat and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone. They praised God saying, we have never seen anything like this. What an amazing response is that? They praised God. that They saw this miracle. They were amazed. I don't know about you, but I don't think anyone's ever been amazed by me. Right? I would love to be, for someone to be amazed by me and what I do, but unfortunately I'm just not amazing. And yet, a lot of people were amazed by Jesus. And we think that's a really good thing. But can I just say, I think the gospel writers are saying, actually, amazement is not enough. If you've got your Bibles there, please, please kind of flip through with me. Flip over to um, Mark chapter 6, please. Mark chapter 6. Beginning at verse 1. Here Jesus is, is teaching. And we see in verse 1, Jesus left there, went to his hometown, accompanied by his disciples. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. You've got this crowd around him, they're hearing his teaching, and they are what? Amazed. And yet... Jesus sees in verse 6, he is amazed. Not, he's not amazed by the fact that they're amazed. He is amazed by their lack of faith. See, you can, you can be amazed at Jesus and not have faith in him. Or, or flip over to Mark chapter 12 with me. Mark chapter 12, starting in verse 13. Mark chapter 12, verse 13 with me. So, so what we see in, in Mark chapter 12, verse 13, we read this. Later, some of the Pharisees and the Herodians uh, to Jesus, sorry, then later they sent some of the Pharisees and Herodians to Jesus to catch him in his words. So you've got a bunch of people who are trying to catch Jesus in his words. And, and, and they give him a coin. They say, you know, who should we pay taxes to? Should we pay taxes at all? Because that was one of the big questions of the day. And Jesus says, who is on the coin? Give to Caesar what is Caesar. Give to God what is God's. And what happens? What is their response? Verse 17. Then Jesus said to them, give back to Caesar what is Caesar. And give to God what is God's. And they were amazed at him. So, so you can be even trying to catch Jesus out. Trying to say, hey, Jesus is not all he's cracked up to be. And you can be amazed at the same time. And finally, flip over to Mark chapter 15. Mark chapter 15, he's before Pilate, the, the, the most powerful person in the land, the, the one that holds Jesus' fate in his hands. And they, he has a conversation. Verse 2 of chapter 15, Are you king of the Jews? asked Pilate. You have said so, Jesus replied. The chief priests accused him of many things. So Pilate asked him, aren't you going to answer? See how many things they are accusing you of. But Jesus made, sorry, still made no reply. And Pilate was amazed. Here is Pilate, the one who's going to send Jesus to, to the cross to die. And he is amazed. 
So you can be amazed at Jesus and still send him to death. You can, you can be amazed at Jesus and try and find some loopholes so you don't have to bow your knee. Excuse me. You can be amazed at Jesus and have no faith in him. You can be amazed at Jesus and not get who he is. I wonder if you're amazed at Jesus today. I wonder if you're coming here and you're going, man, his teaching is amazing. Can I just say, I'm glad you think it's amazing, but Jesus is saying that's not good enough. It's not good enough. It's one thing to be amazed at Jesus. It's it's another thing to trust him with your whole life. I remember the first time I ever went to Teppanyaki. kind of freaked me out because... People are like, oh, you're going to love it. It's really kind of exciting. It's an exciting eating experience. That's what people said. And it was because we had a chef and he did it all in front of us and he was throwing egg around. It was just amazing. And then we were going to get some dessert. I forget what the dessert was, but he went out the back and they were making it out the back and he came back and he said, sorry, um, the dessert is not ready yet. So I'm going to do some magic tricks for you, some tricks for you. I was like, okay, not only you get a, a great feed, it's magic too. So he like lit a fire in his hand and then it came out this house. He did a bunch of things. But then what he did, and this freaked me out, he got a, uh, he put his hand down and got a really sharp, uh, sharp knife and put it between the bits in his fingers and sped up and sped up and sped up and really fast. It was like, you could hardly see his hand, right? And we were just like, we were amazed. And then he said, okay, which one of you wants to put your hand down and I'll do the same thing? And no one said, me. Everyone's like, no, 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 I want to leave with all my fingers intact. See, it's one thing to be amazed when this guy does his knife trick. It's another thing to trust him with your hand. It's one thing to be amazed at the teachings of Jesus and all he's done for you. It's another thing to trust him with your life. How are you responding to Jesus? Are you a spectator who's merely amazed at at who he is or are you trusting him with your life? So what should you do? Well, don't just sit there, but explore. Maybe maybe you know heaps about Jesus and you're ready to trust him. Well, start trusting him. Pray to him and say, hey, I actually want to trust you with, with my life. Or maybe you've got more questions. Come along to introducing Jesus where you'll hear about Jesus. Go to one of our growth groups where you'll hear about Jesus. And don't just sit on the fence being amazed, but jump in and trust in Jesus. See, we have seen uh, three different responses to Jesus. We've seen uh, the, the, the person who's seeking the, the person who Jesus says you need to go deeper. It's not just the thing you're, you're seeking before. There's something far deeper. What we've seen, the skeptic who, who, no matter the evidence before them, their skepticism is blocking them to come, coming to know Jesus. And finally, we see, see the spectator who's, who's very, very amazed by Jesus but hasn't put their faith in him. Where are you? My prayer is today that you would bow the knee to the Lord Jesus wherever you're at and you will go from being a seeker or a skeptic or a spectator to a believer. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for this passage and I thank you that just like every other passage in the Bible, it speaks to all of us wherever we're at. Lord, I pray for those of us here who are in one of those categories. Lord, I pray that you would break through whatever it is that is holding us back from putting our faith in you and putting our trust in you. 
If it's skepticism, I pray that we will be skeptical of our own skepticism, doubt our doubts. If, if it is, if it is um, we're seeking you, Lord, help us to seek you for what you want to do in us, not just what we want to take from you. If, if we're part of the crowd, Lord, we pray that we wouldn't just be amazed, but we will put our trust in you. Lord, change us. Change us, we pray. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, one of the things Bobby and I didn't announce, and I apologize for this, we are going to have Q&A, but can I, I'm going to give you a minute to think of any questions that you might have. I'm just going to run and grab a drink. Is that okay with Bobby? And Bobby might just kind of um, field the questions and then I'll do my best to answer them. things that you can do if you don't have any questions but you think there's someone in the room who has got a question you might ask the question that you think they could ask if you know what I mean so that might be a way of serving the people in the room too sure all right great so if you're online today uh, feel free to pop a question into the YouTube uh, live chat or if you're on Facebook as well has anyone got a question Yeah, great question. So, uh, sorry, you, you want to repeat? Oh, okay, so, so Jen just asked a brilliant question. She, she said that um, if I said that whatever we're seeking Jesus for, uh, he will give us. And so therefore, if someone has got cancer and they're seeking Jesus for healing, um, what am I saying about that? Is that right? What, uh, can I first say with what I'm not saying? I am not saying that Jesus is going to heal your cancer in this life in every circumstance. I, I think he may sometimes, right? What I am saying is that your desire to be cancer-free, uh, there's, there's far more depth to that desire than you realize. And so your desire to be cancer-free is not just a desire to be cancer-free, but to be sickness-free and be totally whole. And as a Christian, I believe that the Bible says, if you trust in Jesus, one day you're going to be with him for eternity. And you're not just going to be cancer-free or sickness-free, but you will, have, you will be totally whole and the person that you are meant to be. And so, yes, we may not get our desires met fully on this earth, but in Jesus and in eternity we will. So that's a very helpful clarification. Thanks, Jen. Great, thanks, Hans. Any other questions? No? Okay. Well, we might finish with our last song.